0: Welcome to B2B Podcast Stories, brought to you by GHM Marketing. Our guest today is Andrew Ginder, co-host of the Industrial Security Podcast and VP for Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. Andrew positions this podcast as a public service. The podcast focuses on industrial cybersecurity, particularly safeguarding critical infrastructure like power plants and rail systems. Today, expect to learn the importance of showcasing expert guests and avoiding adding your own personal opinions or arguments. Explore the value of soft selling, providing useful insights to the audience without turning episodes into sales pitches, and discover how building community around a niche podcast can happen, and the potential benefits of cultivating a specialized audience. Before we begin, please remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps the show, and we're going to keep bringing you all the amazing ways podcasts can help your business. And with that, here is Andrew. So tell me a little bit about, because I see that, like, you're in quite a big company. So what's your role inside the podcast of it all?
1: I am the co-host. Uh, we use Podcast Israel. They have a, uh, a professional podcast producer as the other co-host. We position this as a public service. It's not about us. It's not about my opinions. I am forbidden from arguing with my guests. We have a guest every episode, an expert from the field, and, uh, you know, we asked him to show us a, a piece of the elephant and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, there's a lot of editing involved because we record the guest, we, uh, replay the guest and then my co-host is on the second time and we insert commentary to try and break it up so that it sounds like three and a half or four voices in the recording rather than just two or worse one. You ask a question and the, the guest drones on for 30 minutes. <laughs> You know it's a monologue, so we try to we break it up that way that's what we do you know it's it's uh, it's a public service to a different guest every every two weeks
0: okay awesome that's that's super interesting. so you post production add a third a second hosted why is that? Why doesn't he just join you at the start?
1: It doesn't join me at the start mostly because we don't know what we're going to say at the start. we want to get the the podcast is about the guest it's uh, we want. The guest to show us a piece of the elephant and what does that mean but i mean we we, we do uh, industrial cyber security so think keeping the hackers out of power yeah. plants keeping the lights on keeping trains from colliding on the tracks because of sabotage and it varies you know episodes vary from very technical to not technical at all and when we get a recording often we'll have to we'll, we'll go through and Bluntly, it's not easy to, to insert the commentary, some constraints because it's a public service, because it's not about our opinions, we must find a way to amplify what the guest has said. So if the guest has used an acronym that... they, they haven't defined or mentioned a standard that they haven't introduced or something, you know, if they say something, we have an opportunity to add a little value by saying, you know, the guest just mentioned such and so for anyone who's not familiar with blah, 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 off we go. Alternately, you know, the guest gives an abstract principle and I can reach into my, my experience and give an example. In a sense, we're talking about the guest. No, one's ever asked me that question. Can we do it all in one take? My instinct is no, but we haven't actually tried it, but my instinct is no because we're talking about the guest. And in a conversation that's, that's almost impolite to say, you know, let's have a conversation with you. And unless the, the two of us talk about you, why you, you shut up, that, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. So this is why we do it in, in two takes.
0: Super interesting. And has that been the format since We day tried
1: well? a pilot episode where, um, you know, I asked an expert a question and they answered for 40 minutes. And we said, I guess we're done and put it out and we're going, this has got to be a better way. <laughs> and again, I'm, I'm working with a professional podcast organization and they said, Andrew, there's this thing out there called a sandwich format. Why don't we give it a try? So we did. And it's, it's worked for us. I get feedback, you know, the sort of the roles are the guest is the guru that, you know, we're picking their brain. My role, it, initially is to ask the guest sort of uh, a dialogue of questions. And if I hear something interesting, go down a tangent with the guest. And it's a guest-friendly process. If I take the guest into an area that works, you know, we keep it. If I take them down a rat hole, we back it out. We go back to the script. But my role is to draw the knowledge out of the guest. And then I've got a different role. You know, the 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 professional podcaster... His role is sort of the voice of the common man. He's got, he does a bunch of stuff on the IT security side. So he's got sort of the IT perspective. And you know, he's not technical, he's not a programmer. So he can ask sort of questions that he expects the audience to ask. And I can then try to interpret what the guest has said and amplify it and explain it, try and add some value. We try to add value any way we can. That's that's sort of the the, the format. It is a little unusual. There is more work involved. You don't just record and, you know, cut out a, a couple of parts that didn't work and push it out. It's, we've got to cut things together. So, you know, I I regret how much effort it is, but uh, it seems to be well-received. I've I've had people, you know, come up to me at, at trade shows or whatever and say, Andrew, you know, love the podcast. I especially love your co-host, you know, because he always asks the questions I was going to ask. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm sure you love that. So what inspired you guys to start the podcast in the first place? You keep saying it's a public service and what, what do you mean by that? And what made you guys well, start it?
1: The concept of the public service wasn't necessarily why we started it. You know, bluntly we started it because we stumbled into the, uh, the, the podcast producers and they said, Hey, why don't you do a podcast? And we said, Oh, there are one or there was there was sort of one partly when we started there was one sort of semi-established podcast in the field and you know this person had been it was an an individual had been doing podcasts on and off for 10 years and sometimes it was off and you'd be a whole year without an episode and sometimes it was on we thought you know there's probably an opportunity here if we did this what you know how would we be different from this and that that podcast was all about in a sense, all about the person. Yes, he had guests on, but he argued with the guest. It was all about that person's opinion in my read. So we said, let's do something different. Let's bring in people and explore what they're experts at and position it as this is a field that, I mean, bluntly operational security, the the power plants, whatever OT security it's called. Operational technology is a niche within IT security, which is a niche within IT, it's a niche within a niche. You know, it's hard to find useful information. So we thought here's an opportunity, but bluntly we're investing Waterfall's time and money in this effort. What do we get out of it? Well, if we're going to bring in experts, position this as a public service, then what we're gonna get is awareness. We're gonna get some reputation. We slide, you know, a one minute commercial all about Waterfall into the middle of the episode as the sponsors of the episode, and, and that's it. We get, we get a little, you know, get a little commercial. We get a, uh, we get some brand awareness as people who care about the industry and are, are doing something good for the industry.
0: Have you seen like, uh, the direct return on investment in any format, like, have you seen clients come in specifically through podcast or is it, is waterfall happy enough to see it being an impressions or, uh, It's awareness absolutely. works.
1: I mean, my role within waterfall. One of my roles is awareness. There's a, a a different executive who's got the big marketing budget. His job is generate leads and you know nurture those leads into opportunities and hand the opportunities off to the sales force. I define awareness. What is awareness? How's that different from lead gen? I define awareness as all of those activities where you cannot measure who you're reaching. If I put you know an article, an online magazine half the time, I can't tell who's read the article I've written three books on the topic. You know, I put them up on Amazon. They sell Amazon doesn't tell me who they sold to, you know, it's there's, and the podcast is like that, you know, some podcast platforms, not very many of them, you have to log in the platform knows who you are. And presumably you might be able to to pay the platform to tell you who's listening we're on all of the platforms. And as you probably know, it's very hard to pay anybody to find out who's listening. You don't get leads out of this. If you get sales out of this, it's because someone went to your website and, you know, because they heard about you they, you know, we got the one minute commercials and said, this is interesting. Press the button, have a salesperson contact me. And, you know, you're looking at this, the statistics, I mean, the, we don't, train our people systematically to try and track down. Did you come in from the podcast? We use the tools that are available and the tools show that kind of opportunity as coming from an organic search on the website. And so we chalk it up to awareness. This person must have run into us at a conference, listened to the podcast or something learned about waterfall, come to the waterfall website. And it shows up as, you know, a direct hit on the waterfall website. That's all we can count. I don't know how much of that is podcast. How much of it's events. We do a lot of events, face-to-face events.
0: Mm -hmm. So we, so JJ marketing, we're a podcast agency, right? Are we specialize in, in solving exactly that problem? Um, I think you're 100% right. And I don't know of any podcast platforms, which uh, will give you the data on who's listening. And the most we've ever seen is in Spotify. You can see demographic in terms of um, gender, age, location. That's as far as you can go, but really you can't see much more than that. But that's where all the other tools around podcasting um, can help, right? you you have, for example, you have the link to your website. That could be a tracked UTM link, for example, to directly track how many clicks you got onto your website from your podcast show notes or from anything that the podcast refers to. You can have a lead gen exclusive to the podcast, for example, like an ebook, a free ebook, which is only advertising the podcast. So I do think there are ways that you can measure podcasts impact on your business, but definitely the classical approach and the way that it's seen as the most impactful for most businesses is awareness indeed. But most companies that we speak to struggle to get budget for just awareness. How did you What's the philosophy at Waterfall that they would allow for that budget? Because it doesn't sound like this is a cheap agency that does all this extra work. So to cut everything together and everything, you have this second person that um, does the voice in their time and perhaps money. I'm not sure if they're already a paid employee or if you pay them specifically for this, but that's all, you know, contributing to that. I'm guessing Waterfall then has a really cool policy around bettering the community.
1: Some of it, yes. Some of it bluntly is self-serving we produce a technology called a unidirectional gateway. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. That is the most common answer to that question. Okay. It's not a technology a lot of people are familiar with. It's used. I mean, it's used on industrial networks. Uh, Let's say you go into a refinery. This is, you know, six square miles, seven stories tall of pipes and towers and tanks. And, you know, there might be, in a large refinery, there might be 20 full-time permanent, like not, not permanent, 24 by seven operator stations staffed, you know, 12, 24 hours a day. It's not it by policy and sometimes by law, you cannot operate a large, dangerous physical process without human oversight. This is a massive installation, you know, countless computers, dozens of firewalls. You know, the gateway is something like vaguely like a firewall. How many gateways are there in the entire place? There might be 30 firewalls on the industrial side, and another 20 firewalls on the IT side in one gateway. So people forget, so they don't know what this is. And so from the very beginning, we have had to try and educate people as to what is this technology, this class of technology. You know, forget our product, just teach them about the class of technology and where it fits and why it fits. And so from the very beginning, waterfall has had a sort of an educational component to the marketing program. I've been doing it for the last 10 years and it's because we have to. And so, no, this is sort of a, a a natural extension of that. The first thing you do is, you know, with the, with the podcast first sentence, welcome to the, you know, the waterfall industrial security podcast. Oh, waterfall. Okay. So you've planted the tiniest of seeds and then you've got a commercial halfway through that, you know, gives you a little bit of information. And, you know, it's education has been part of the plan since the very beginning. It, it had to be the single most common question we get at a trade show booth is interdirectional gateway. What's that in spite of all my efforts for 10 years. And, you know, I, I count this as a personal failure that this is still the most common question.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So when you have guests on, how do you select those guests? Do you look for specific? Because I mean, how many topics are there in IT security um, and unidirectional gateways? How many times can you talk about that? Like, well, how do you go about keeping the podcast fresh and alive in such a specific and niche
1: topic? Well, first to- off, domain, we almost never talk about unidirectional gateways because we're talking about the the guests' expertise. Um, How do we, you know, mm-hmm. let, let me answer your questions in sort of the reverse order. I'll, I'll come to how do we select the guests, you know. Gateways, you know, out of the way. Shoot. What was the other question? How do you
0: you, um, keep the podcast fresh with uh, such a niche, in such Um, a niche topic? uh,
1: Bluntly, I'm surprised that we're at 120 episodes. I had a, uh, you can see the gray, I'm, I'm reaching the end of my career. As a younger man, I had a very high opinion of myself even four years ago when I started the podcast, I thought, you know, there might be 20 or 30 episodes out there, but you know, what the heck, let's give it a try Well, we're at 120 episodes and it's been a humbling experience. And to your question, how do we select people, you know, a variety of ways, half the time I hear them speak at a, a face-to-face event. We, we go to a lot of face-to-face events to try and get the word out. And you know, it's been a humbling experience. I count an episode as successful if I've learned something, because I know a fair bit. And if I've learned something, I'm guessing our listeners are going to learn something too. And you know, this is now it's, now it's worth listening to. Well, we're 120 episodes in and it shows no sign of diminishing. I've learned something every episode. It's it's, yeah. Well, I might've known something, but the, it's a very big elephant. And you know, what one thing I've learned is that the field, is, it's huge. And it's because you need so much knowledge to execute in this field. If you're going to design a cybersecurity system for, you know, a a high-speed passenger rail switching system, where the worst case consequence of of cyber sabotage is a mass casualty event, high-speed passenger trains collide. Well, how are you going to design that security system? Are you going to say, patch everything? Well, how do you know that the new software version isn't going to cause a malfunction that's going to kill someone. Oh, well, well, what is there actually to patch? Well, you'd have to talk to the engineers who've deployed the automation. You know, sometimes there's different engineering groups, one for the electrical system, a different one for the switching system. Oh, so... What kind of, you know, what, are, what is the worst that could happen? Is it possible for trains to collide? Well, you would need to look at what kind of electromechanical safety systems have been put in place. Well, that's a different group of engineers. Eventually you also need to understand the threat environment cybersecurity. There is so much you have to know in order to execute in rails. And it's a different bunch of stuff you have to know. Some of it's the same, but a lot of it's different in power plants, in refineries in, and so I've concluded that I don't believe it's possible anymore. I don't believe that one person can do the whole job that, you know, one person can sort of lead the charge, but that it has to be a team effort because there's just such a breadth of knowledge that's needed, which means I have a nearly infinite number of, of podcast topics here.
0: So you're saying these systems are so complex that, um, you have so many specialties in between that. You can always pull out some new topic yeah, to it's, go further down on.
1: I'm sure also, I mean, technology is, if, if I may, it's, it's, it's good. not so much that they're complex. They are complex. Yes. But you know, SAP is complex. I mean, big software systems are complex. Office 365 is ridiculously complex. It's not so much the complexity. It is the breadth of knowledge. A textbook example in the OT space, you know, a, a very recent initiative uh, is looking at electromechanical protection as well as cybersecurity. I mean, the classic example is in a, a, uh, let's say, a, a old school coal-fired power plant, coal is pulverized dust is blown into a furnace. It ignites almost instantly. It's consumed in less than a second, turned to heat. And of course carbon dioxide and water, uh, the heat, heat's a five-story boiler, the steam out of the boiler. Um you know drives a steam turbine which drives the generator, which produces electricity. okay, you know if a cyber attack overheats the boiler, there's a risk that the boiler overpressurizes and blows up in your face. If you are the technician responsible for that boiler you there's there's hundreds of sensors all over the boiler. You calibrate the sensors, you replace them when they fail. you've got the gamma ray testers for institute corrosion testing without shutting anything down. These boilers are your baby. You work all day long in the kill zone of a worst case boiler explosion. If one of these boilers blows up, you're dead, and so is everybody else nearby. How would you like to be protected from a cyber attack that overheats the furnace under the boiler? Would you prefer a mechanical valve where, if the steam pressure is too great, it forces the valve against a spring, the steam escapes, and there's no explosion? Or would you like a longer password on the computer controlling the boiler? Well, most of us would like I'd the valve. Both. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the right both. answer. I the best answer I get is answer, that's the wrong question. This is my life on the line. I want valve. I want three of them because they're mechanical. They can rust. They can they can fail. And I want the longer password. And I want a boatload of cybersecurity beside it. So, if you want to secure a power plant, you need to understand the physical process. That's a specialty. You need to understand safety systems. The overpressure valve is just one of many electromechanical safety systems. You need to understand the automation because you got to understand what you're protecting. You need to understand the threat. You need to understand, you know, how you, the cybersecurity. These are all separate specialties and they're different specialties in a refinery, not all different, but enough that, uh, it's not that it's complexity. It's just the breadth that's involved is just staggering.
0: Mm. One percent. And so you, you what you're saying is for your podcast, you could have with the genre that you've selected, have a broad range of those expertises on because they all contribute to the overall safety. It doesn't even have to be just cybersecurity, but it could be all the different ways in which infiltration could occur.
1: Absolutely. And you know, we we focus on it cybersecurity on we, we focus on, we call it industrial security. We, we focus on cyber threats to physical operations, but mm-hmm. that's more than sort of classic cybersecurity. There's also, you know, we, we've done episodes on saying, well, precisely as, as you said, your cybersecurity program really is only as strong as your physical security program. If any fool can walk in there and plug things in, we're in trouble. And so we've talked about the, you know, in, in regulations in North America and the power grid, it's NERC uh, you know, critical infrastructure protection regulations, and they have a whole section on what you have to do for physical security. And we said that's relevant. And so we've done everything from the deep technical of how you do crypto in an environment where you don't have access to the certificate authorities, you know, the deep technical to boards of directors. Do they talk about cybersecurity? What do they talk about? They don't talk about the deep encryption problems. We've talked to marketing people saying, you know, how do you sell to this? There's, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of faces of the elephant.
0: You keep referring to this elephant as a, as a can you explain the elephant theory or like what you mean by the elephant?
1: Oh, it's just, it's the old parable. You know, three blind men come up to the elephant. One of them grabs the tail and, you know, is asked to describe what is, what's, what's an elephant? And he says, well, it's like a very long rope, you know, and the other one's grabbed the tusks and says, you know, is asked to describe what is an elephant and said, well, it's really sharp, big and sharp. And the other one is up against the side of it, you know, and is, is feeling the side and goes, it's like a wall. It's like a living wall. Yeah, well, each of us, you know, we, we ask guests to come in and, uh, go deep on what they do every day, whatever they're an expert on, give us some examples, give us some lessons learned. And, you know, we, if we bring in a board member, they're going to have a different thing. They go deep on than if we, you know, bring in the, uh, the, the physical security team.
0: Mm. I like what you said earlier about what's a successful episode. So we had a past guest on, um, Tom Hickey, where, who said that for him, a successful episode is when the guest said. Hey, I really enjoyed that. And um, I like that it's for you. The successful episode was I learned something because I'm an expert in the field. So if I've learned something that there is definitely valuable stuff uh, to be learned. And also, by the way, if you've done 120 episodes and you're still learning stuff, just doing 120 episodes would make you an expert, even if you started from scratch, first of all, because you've had 120 hours approximately of conversation around that specific topic with highly knowledgeable people, where you get to ask them anything you want and their job in that one hour is to explain it the best way possible. And your job is to represent someone for it to be explained to
1: as a host. Absolutely. And this is my most recent book, the, the gold book, um, you know, engineering grade OT security and, you know, in my acknowledgements, I lead with four podcast guests that explained key principles to me. So that I went, this is important. Someone has to, someone has to explain this more broadly. And it became the foundation of, of the, the new textbook. So yeah, it's, uh, I've, I've learned an enormous amount from these experts. It's, uh, not just humbling, but it's, uh, it's been profitable, you know, how else do you, do you learn the, uh, you know, what, what is sort of on the, the leading edge of thinking than to ask the experts, no one's written this stuff down. Hmm.
0: Andre, you're one of uh, of our first guests that is not a entrepreneur yourself or a business owner in terms of your VP at this uh, large company, right? Tell us about the dynamic of being a podcast host within an organization. So most of the people that we're speaking to that running their podcasts are the decision makers at the end of the day, right? They're the ones that um, decide direction. They're the ones that decide also that to even do the podcast to continue the podcast? Is the podcast really still beneficial? Do we want to keep going? Most people we talk to are one to 200 episodes plus, uh, because they're the ones that are diehard podcast stories that we want to hear about. Being inside an organization have other people challenged you on the podcast before? Like why is a VP of ours spending this much time uh, on this tool, uh, or on this venture of his hobby, some might even say in the wrong circles. And have you had to defend it? And if so, how have you done that?
1: So, yes, there is sometimes pushback, not so much from the sales teams because they, you know, they have people come up to them. uh, Again, we do dozens of face-to-face events every year. Most of them little niche things. This is the nature of the industry, but they have people coming up saying, waterfall, I listened to your podcast and to them, that's gold. Cause that's an opening. They can use it. They can explore the relationship. They could, who are you? What do you do? Why do you listen to the podcast? So I I don't get much pushback there. I occasionally get pushback from sort of the, uh, at waterfall, the marketing function is sort of split up between three different teams, three different budgets, other parts of marketing are focused on other parts of the problem. I get a little bit of pushback, but bluntly as, as long as the cost is modest and you know, I do, partly I do the podcast as a labor of love. It, you know, it's not always on company time that, that I, I finished the job. It's worked in terms of budget. The budget is modest. Most of the budget is my time. And again, when you've got an executive like me, who's, uh, putting in 12 hours a day, you know, six days a week or five and a half days a week. You know, if I want to stay, keep, keep going with the podcast, <laughs> the company says, sure. You, you do that. It also helps enormously that the CEO believes in the podcast believes in the whole function. I mean, why, why am I, I, it's not just me. I've got a small team at waterfall. Why does this whole team exist in part? It's because the CEO recognizes that our single biggest obstacle for, for sales is getting the word out is educating experts in both owners and operators and in the, the service industry that serves the owners and operators as to why you need this kind of technology. And so because education of the marketplace, creation of the marketplace is so important, I don't get that much pushback when, when you have the, uh, the, the top executive backing.
0: And do you have like specific, how are you showing successful progress in that mission internally? Are there certain KPIs that you're reporting on or is it again, just the anecdotes from the sales team is enough for everyone to say that this is successfully being achieved because it's quite a, kind of vague, right?
1: It's absolutely vague. The, uh, the, 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 key KPI that we have is number of downloads of the, of each episode and, you know, it ranges between, you know, 3,000 and 3,500 per episode, which considering the size of the industry, you know, I'd like it to be bigger than that, but not everybody listens to podcasts. So that's, you know, that, that metric has sort of crept up over the years and then stabilized, took a long time. And the rest of it is mostly anecdotal. Um, and uh, again, when you, when you can look at the numbers and say, we're getting 3000 impressions each episode, well, that's more than most of our LinkedIn posts get. That's more than you know, uh, more downloads than, than most of our eBooks get. Um, you know, it works now, if you're getting started, it took a while to get up there for anyone who's considering something like this. We started out with uh, a couple of hundred downloads after, after five or, you know, eight episodes and we're going, is this working? We had a, what's the right word? A negative learning. We learned what not to do.
0: Well, is not, share learning. some of those, please.
1: Yeah. Said, well, in electronic marketing, you have the the concept of remarketing, which is someone's visited your website. You know, the technology's dropped a cookie onto their browser. And now you can tell in a sense that they visited your website. You, You can kind of vaguely tell a little bit about who they are. And then if, you know, you can instruct Google or these other platforms to show your ad to people who have come to your website already. Now, You have to you know you pick and choose a little bit it's a little freaky to go to facebook and see an ad you know this is your personal life you you don't want to mix your personal websites with your professional you know you gotta but we did that and we said these are display ads you know you pay for the number of exposures not the number of clicks even if it was the number of clicks i forget but we suffered click fraud The number of downloads shot from 300 to 40,000 per episode. 40,000 downloads. Wow, that's one heck of an effective marketing campaign. And then we dug into it and no, the bad guys put up a bogus website full of ads, nothing but ads. And, you know, Google is paying them to show ads. And then they have robots or people sometimes low paid people to click on the ads. They visit your website so that they get the cookie and now they click on the ads and they get a penny per click. Well it adds up forty thousand downloads. No, it wasn't forty thousand down. It was garbage. So I've we became very suspicious of that remarketing concept. You have to do it very carefully. Once we got rid of that, we got back to, you know, a <laughs> thousand downloads per episode and sort of the slow slope up towards the plateau, which for us is three thousand thirty five
0: hundred. And what would you say has led to your growth? Has it been just consistency or have you applied learnings and principles from perhaps a well, lot of the times we say the only way you can improve your podcast is one way is speak to your listeners, right? You wanna go out, like you said, you attend a lot of physical events. That's a great way to speak to people listen to show so why would you listen to my show what would you get out of it what would you think i could do more of which guest was your favorite uh which question was your favorite etc etc so that's usually one way to gather intel and, and continuously improve they always just follow the numbers right if you're doing the correct style of tracking if you're looking at the right metrics and if you're if you have something to optimize for what's what would you say has been your uh, by the way, the third one is a lot of people just say, "Hey, look, consistency." And we got a year, and we didn't really change much, but we just kept trying to put out good content. What has been the key driver to your success so far?
1: Consistency is important. The podcast folks we use crack the whip; they want an episode to go out every two weeks religiously. The quality has to be there. You know, the, this is the producer's job. You know, sometimes we'll get into an episode, and he'll say, "Andrew." This is not working. This is not a good episode. We've had to scrap a couple of episodes. It, it, um, really before they hit the, the, the airwaves and yeah, feedback is important, but the feedback we get is that we seem to be on the right track. This seems to be resonating and bluntly when you're basing sort of impressions of the marketplace on, you know, face-to-face feedback, it's hard. It's hard to be consistent about that. I'm pretty certain that I'm mixing my own impressions into what they're telling me. And what I'm getting back is a mix of what I thought they were going to tell me and what they actually told me. Um, so I don't know how much of this is accurate, but there are since in the four years, since we started, there are now a half dozen credible regular podcasts out there in the space and dozens of others that have sort of an episode or two on this topic and then move off to something else because it's sort of peripheral to what they do there might be a, a podcast on producing electric power that has an episode on cyber security that kind of thing but the uh, you know the feedback that those half dozen we seem to be that's not true this there's, there's two of them there's you know us and one other that has just paused for financial reasons or something that are sort of using this approach. There's a couple of them out there that are in a sense about the, the host about their opinions, about their perspective. And there's another two or three out there that are sort of about the company and they're sort of self promotional from the beginning. And I have to wonder if you've got a small company. And you're doing bits about your technology and where your technology fits and how fancy your technology is. And you know, why not, why you're, you're not going to use the competitors. When you drone on about this, you're eventually going to, you're going to start repeating yourself is my sense. And why would anybody listen to this on a regular basis? You might listen to one or two episodes and then say, well, you know, that's to this. I mean, if you're, I don't know, Cisco and you've got 10,000 products, you might be able to pull that off. You know, I have to wonder who's going to listen to sort of a, something that's all about me corporately or something that's all about me personally, as a a commentator in the space, criticizing what everyone else is doing. You know, my first book isn't even up here. My first book criticized the title was SCADA security. What's broken and how to fix it. I criticized and nobody likes a critic. I got, <laughs> I got some serious criticism back for the criticism I leveled against the space and I changed. I said, you know, if we're going to educate the marketplace, I can't go out there pointing fingers saying you're doing it wrong. That's, you know, what do people do when you say you're doing it wrong? Do they say, oh, thank you for showing me the light. Do they walk to the light? No, they get their shovels out and they start digging deeper. And so to me, uh, you know, it's easy to be a critic it's much harder to propose a solution that someone else can criticize so that's what I've tried to do professionally the last 10 years in this role at waterfall and that's you know what I've tried to stay away from in terms of the the you know two-thirds of the space being corporately self-promotional or personally critical and you know by criticizing everybody else personally self-promotion
0: hmm. no i like the philosophy i like how you've got this thing about as you mentioned earlier as well um, you're not there to offer your opinions right it's really about the guest and i think that's probably why a lot of guests come on your show as well right so people and why probably a lot of people listen because there's not much worse than a guest than a host than uh there's not much worse than a host that does all the talking it doesn't let the guest finish sometimes you actually want to hear from your host as well especially if after a long time you've become uh you, that's become someone you trust, right? Uh, I don't know. I mean, guess you've met people that have listened to the show that probably know you and are a lot more comfortable with you than you are with them, simply because they've heard 120 hours of your voice, and you've never met this person before in your life. And it's a very one-sided relationship where they really feel like they know who Andrew is and uh, and whatnot.
1: Yeah. Let me let me let me chime in there. The other thing that we haven't talked about, but it's worth inserting at about this point, you know, when we're talking about who our guests are is a large fraction, we're talking more than half of the guests are vendors, you know, not direct competitors. There's almost no direct competitors. We produce a product unlike anything else in the marketplace and we're not a service provider, so we sell technology that no one else has. So we have service providers on, we have, it's, it's very hard to get the, you know, the chief security officer of a power company on and talk about their security program. They're just not going to do that. That's, you know, that's, that's giving an, uh, a leg up to the adversary. So it's hard to get owners and operators on when we get them on half the time, they will talk about their favorite standard, their new initiative that, you know, is they see in the industry that they're tracking as a, as a business, you know, not talking about themselves, but it is comparatively easy to get vendors on. And when we get a vendor on, I tell them I'm forbidden from promoting waterfall. That's not how the, 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 the episode works. You have no such restriction. I discourage flat out sales pitches. Here's our product. Isn't it great? The competition is crap, blah, blah. You know, I, I discourage flat out sales pitches, but the feedback I get from this market that is a niche within a niche. The feedback that I get is people actually like a little bit of a soft sell when the vendors are on, because how else are they going to find out what's available in the marketplace? It's a tiny marketplace. It's hard to get the word out into this marketplace. And so I've had people say, you know, I love your show. I had people say, you know, I said, great. What do you like about it? What I really loved your episode with, uh, I think it was Verve Industrial. I said, great. Why? What was... What was unique about that episode? They said, before that episode, I had no idea that this class of solution existed. I called up Verve. I'm a customer now. I said, good <laughs> works for them. You know, it's, it's working for us awareness wise, but you know, people appreciate. So my point is that, uh, you know, if, if your listeners are, you know, seeing elements of this approach that in their market makes some sense to them, be aware that most of my guests are vendors and it's not hard to coach these people. I mean, these, these people, they, they, they know nine times out of 10, there is one time out of 10 where it it is, it doesn't work. Uh, but nine times out of 10, you know, they've, you, you go to these, these tiny OT security shows half the time, you know, you, you can buy a speaking slot, the other half the time you have to win the speaking slot. It's a competitive process. And so they know how to. Uh, deliver a useful message without coming across as a sales pitch, and this is part of why I like you know I go to the shows, I listen to people and I say that was interesting. Come on the show, and you know they'll do some soft sell and uh, and it all works the the you know uh, my listeners welcome that kind of insight into the marketplace
0: hundred mm. percent I think. But I think you've struck the right balance there, Andrew, the, you definitely don't want a sales pitch. And that's where a lot of people like. so what we do on some of our other shows um, as well, where we do have vendors on is we tell them at the start, look, you're going to be able to present all about your company right at the end, but until then let's just make great content. And that's typically where it kind of puts people at ease that says, okay, I'm going to be able to promote later. I don't need to promote right now, but let's focus on the topic at hand. And typically vendors are experts. That's why they're vendors, right? They might just be experts in the solutions, they might be expert in the problem. I'm sure in your field they're experts on a specific technology. And they're probably the best ones to be able to break down that technology for sure. Albeit some of them might struggle to break it down without saying, and that's why we're the solution and that's why we're gonna be able to help people, etc. But, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but definitely Yeah. But definitely there will be experts in the in the problem, uh, hopefully, if they're a successful company, and also they'll have some technology or some solution, which I'm sure a lot of people would benefit from. Uh, understanding more about, especially in the way that you've described the industry that you're in. So I think that's super cool, Andrew, what would be your suggestion for people starting out a podcast in a niche of a niche? What should people consider uh, when they're getting it started? And how would you motivate them to get the most out of their podcast?
1: Well, I would say that um, having been at this for four years and having seen other podcasts and seen. You know, I'm, I wasn't, I didn't, I never did podcasts before this. Now I listen to podcasts. You asked an interesting question. I'm going to come to your question in a moment niche within a niche, but the first step is to find out really to engage with someone like yourself, you know, someone like podcast, Israel, someone who understands podcasts and say, what makes sense for me in my market? Because every market is different what I'm doing here in this niche within a niche industrial cybersecurity might not be what you need to do. If you are an influencer promoting music, it's just, it's a completely different animal in terms of advice for the niche within a niche. I mean, I've, I've, I think I've given the, the, the main advice. I haven't seen the numbers, but I struggle to believe that, you know, someone who comes on once a week, sometimes once every two weeks, and, you know, boasts about their company, criticizes, hither and yon. It's basically a, a 45 minute rant. Who's going to listen to that? I just, I know I wouldn't. It's, it's, once you've heard the guy's opinion four times, you know, you can predict what he's going to say. So, you know, I recommend the approach we've taken, which is try to add some value. One way or another. I mean, there's there's different ways to add value. You can add value with a monologue, by I don't know, evaluating standards and saying, "Okay, you guys have heard of this. Let's take you through it today." You know, I probably listen to that, or find some way to add value that doesn't come across as self-promotional, doesn't come across as as critical. This is podcast. To me, is about awareness. You can't measure how many leads you get out of it, but. to me it's about awareness because that's my job at waterfall so how much of this is is my perspective and how much of it is generally useful is something that i think you are in a a better place to evaluate than i am so you know let me turn it around and ask you if you had someone come on saying you know i've seen andrew's podcast uh you know i've got the same niche within a niche what should i do what would your advice be
0: we interview hosts all the time here andrew some hosts can't help not being hosts <laughs> and asking the questions.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: So most hosts make not terrible guests. That's, a, of course, every guest we've had on has been absolutely amazing, for sure. But uh, I guess you you don't lose the muscle uh, very easily. And I know that because I've been on shows as a guest as well. And I understand it's, it's interesting to be on the other side of it. I think uh, we actually do have a podcast in a niche, of a niche, actually. So me and Guillaume, my co-founder, for GHM Marketing, we got into podcasts by starting our own very niche podcast, which was Corporate Treasury 101, which is about corporate treasury, which is a niche in finance. And what we did, we well, we saw the niche as an opportunity, first of all, an opportunity in multiple fronts. Depends why you start the podcast. Typically, you're going to have less competition because it's less. Uh, we've, we manage podcasts in the fintech space, for example. And I'd argue a much better podcast than some of the other ones, but it's just such a competitive area that it the it really takes a lot to get a good podcast out there or to do a well-performing podcast out there. So I think you're presented with an opportunity off the bat. Then also the audience that you cultivate, if you're looking for sponsors or if you're looking to um do some sort of other form of monetization, you, you cultivate a very specialized audience in a niche. If not many people listening to um IT cybersecurity uh, are not in the IT sub- cybersecurity space. Um, so your listeners are going to be very relevant, whereas, again, entrepreneurship or fintech or um, some of the broader fields, you don't really know what industries people are coming from. Leadership, for example, uh, the industries are much broader. So that that presents us a very good opportunity as well. I think it comes to doubling down. What we say the best thing to do with any podcast is um, always have a great way to market your podcast with a social media channel attached to it. And that's always going to help you get in front of as many much of an audience as possible, but also cultivate a community. When you're in a niche podcast environment, the other advantage you have is you can build a very tight-knit community of people that feel like they're all in one bucket in terms of their interests, in terms of, oh, um, I find this really nerdy topic interesting. Now I found other nerds, if I can call them that, that are also interested in that, and that also gives them a sense of community, it gets them closer to the podcast, it gets them closer to you as a host, it gets close to you as a company, uh, in general, because you feel like you have this common interest that perhaps you feel like isn't mainstream, and therefore you can band together. And um, so cultivating a community is a really strong way to grow your niche of a niche podcast, I think as well. Cool. Have you guys done that at all at waterfall? Uh, do you feel like you have a community in place?
1: Of Cybersecurity nerds? Short answer is, I don't know. Part of the problem is you're asking the wrong person. Uh, you know, Waterfall's big enough that we have people who do social yeah. media and we have a following of, I don't know, 10,000, uh, people ish. I mm. um, give or take a few thousand times. I'm weak on the details on social media. We post these episodes every two weeks. And, you know, to to answer your question, in terms of community, our posts garner a comment or two or a couple of likes or sometimes, you know, 50 likes. So there's something there. Um, the one thing that, that surprised me in that regard was, uh, again, when this book came out in November, I'd been working on it for five years, thrown out version after version of it until finally I had something that I thought was, was fit to publish. I posted a picture of me getting the author's proof saying, hey, let's, you know, here's a, here's something to, to proofread and make sure it, 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 works. I posted the author's proof picture. We got 800 likes and, uh, you know, 90 comments. So wow. I guess there is a community out there <laughs> They're they're, yeah. they're quiet most of the time, but when they see something, <laughs> So thank you guys. I mean, <laughs> I, I think there is a community out there. They're just not, not terribly vocal is, is my observation.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, um, but again, yeah, maybe it's just by giving them the opportunity to, to be vocal. Like I said, with that post and, and others as well. Awesome. Andrew, uh, last question for you, which we've been asking all of our guests, if you could uh, give a shout out to three podcasts that you think are doing great, either in your niche, not in your niche or podcasts as a podcaster that you enjoy listening to. Could you, could you give a shout out to three podcasts?
1: Yeah, three. I don't know. I, again, I I listen primarily to the podcast in the industry. Uh, you know, one of the competitors has been at it for 10 years. It's Dale Peterson's unsolicited response. You might agree with him. You might disagree with him, but he's a fixture in the industry. He has good guests from most of the time. So I, you know, I do recommend unsolicited response. There's another one. I've forgotten the name. It's here on my, it's here on my, uh, my thing, Uh, but it's paused, but I think it's coming back. It's going to be sort of reinstated. I do recommend it's not even a podcast. It's a list. It shows up in my podcast app as if it were a podcast, but really it's just a list of other podcasts episodes a list of episodes in the space because it's a niche space this guy curates and it's useful because he does not just say well you know dale peterson put out another episode andrew put out another episode he says this other podcast over here that no one's ever heard of on high-speed passenger rail systems has put out an episode on cybersecurity. they've never done that before but here's an episode so you can go through here and see what other people are saying about it Without following a hundred podcasts like uh, like he does, and that's called the Beer Isaac. Isaac is information sharing and analysis center. It's a, a term that's used in the industry. The Beer Isaac is something that started sort of after some of these conferences. People said, you know, the best information sharing happens <laughs> when people get some beer into them, and so you know he took the name of the Beer Isaac and you know uh, applied it to the podcast and I can't find the other one. Maybe it's vanished. No, here we are. Protect OT. Protect OT Cybersecurity Podcast. And uh, as far as I know, it's paused, but it might well be coming back under that name or a different name. And he's uh, only been at it for a year, but has kudos to him. He does it once a week. Wow. That's, (laughs) that's incredible. But he has guests on, you know, he's, uh, there's a little bit of, of self-promotion in there in terms of corporate self-promotion, but there's a lot of guests. So, uh, you know, those, those would be the three, uh, unsolicited response, protect OT, cybersecurity, and, uh, the beer ISAC. I'm okay. curious, what do you awesome. think of the, the beer ISAC as a, as a, a cult of, not what's it, what's it called? It's a curated list. You know, when I thought, when I saw it the first time, I thought, you know, Really? That's a thing? You could do that? And then I saw interesting episodes on there and I subscribed to it. And now I hardly go to the other podcasts individually in my app anymore. I just go to the BRI because it's all there. And, Mm. you know, I can age through stuff that I wouldn't have found otherwise because he finds stuff in podcasts that have nothing to do with cybersecurity. They have to do with, you know, uh, refining or shipping or who knows what. So what do you think of that? That curated list concept? Is that, is that a thing? Is that frowned on? Is it, what is that?
0: I've never seen that before. Actually, it's new to me as well. So that's super interesting. I think the, there's always a, in every industry curation and uh, valuable curation is uh, valuable, I think there's, there's a really interesting concept, about how much junk there is on the internet and how more and more the skill is not knowing and knowledge because you have Google at your fingertips. Um but rather, it is a, in differentiating the signal from the noise. Right? Uh, in yeah. in uh, all the information that you're receiving. Uh, so having someone pre filter the noise from the signal for you uh, is incredibly valuable, I think as well, right. Uh, so they say, Hey, look, and if you can trust that person's curation, you're like, yeah, everything that this guy picks, I really enjoy. I think that's a great idea. My only and, question is on like copyright kind of stuff. Like, so how does he do it? Does he just download the episode and publish it again? Or is it just a website no. or what is it?
1: To my knowledge, he takes the, um, uh, description, the metadata and puts it into his metadata. So he does copy a paragraph for the description, you know, the teaser for the episode and, uh, then points back to the recording. So you download the recording, you know, when, when someone goes through the beer, Isaac and downloads. You know one of my episodes my understanding is my re, you know my my download counter goes up because he's referred people to to my recording technically i suppose there might be copyright issues and so if you're sitting there criticizing these people then they might not be happy about that but you know he's promoting these things and i see it as a a tool to introduce my podcast to people who wouldn't otherwise find it uh so i'm not going to complain at all In fact i have you know i've referred him to other people's podcasts when i've been a guest like this one so that he can put it in his list i see the list as valuable
0: yeah 100 percent. super cool nice well, i'll have to look into it and we'll definitely uh, put some links in the show notes below towards that as well that seems really interesting andrew thank you so much for uh coming on the show
1: thank you for having me it's uh it's been a blast i uh you know i wish you the best and um, to everyone listening i hope this has been useful if you've got a podcast already. And if you're thinking of one, uh, think carefully about your market and, but by all means it it's, it's worked for us on the awareness side, sort of the, the, what's called the, uh, the foggy top of the, of the, the lead gen mountain top before the leads are even leads. This is, this is where we position the podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. I think in the form of education, and if you're especially in an industry where education is super important, I definitely see it as something super valuable. I think you guys are doing a great job, Andrew. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the B2B podcast stories. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please don't forget to hit subscribe and check us out at ghamarkness.com. Have a great day.